Welcome to Baking with House of Bread, and I'm your host, Sheila McCann. Every culture has their own stamp on their breads. Panettone is the Italian version of the holiday fruitcake. While its origins are a little bit sketchy, I did read about one legend where somewhere around the 1400s in Milan, a nobleman had fell in love with the daughter of a baker named Tony. And so he created this bread called Pande Tony to impress his love's father. So in Germany, the Christmas loaf is called Stolen, and that was in my last podcast episode of 19. So the main differences between the two is that the panettone doesn't involve a sponge the day before. You also don't soak the fruit in vanilla or whiskey or whatever. It's a, it's a dry fruit mix that you're adding to it. And then lastly, it's baked traditionally like in a cylinder type shape. So in the panettone, so the stolen, you know, you shape it flat and then you're like wrapping a baby in a blanket. Uh, not so with the panettone. In this dough, everything's going to go in at once, except for the dried fruit and the nuts. You get to the good dough stage, then you add that. But it's called a straight dough because generally it goes in all at once. And so the process is a lot easier to make than the stolen. You know, everybody has their own favorite. So we definitely have people that come in the bakery and they want that stolen. And then we also have ones that want the panettone. And it's not like they buy one of each. Uh, so I personally have to like the stolen a little bit more. Could be my German roots or my memories of eating stolen as a child. That's my grandmother, which I named Grandma's White. She was actually German. And panettone is good, but it doesn't seem to have the same toasting ability um, for me that how it pops in the stolen. So you be the judge. Try making both of them and you can do some fun little taste tests. But what is kind of fun about the panettone is just the shape. So when you put it in that cylinder mode, you think of it this way, it's not really that wide. So most of the molds are generally about oh, four to five inches in diameter, like about you know eight inches high, so which is different from most loaves because they usually bake on their sides. And so if you, pay, if you plan on making a lot of panettone, you might want to buy the pans. But if you want to just try using what you got at home, if you have coffee in cans, those will work great. And that's actually what I've seen in the past. But the problem is now most coffee doesn't come in those type of cans. So and I'm going to guess if you're listening to this podcast that you're a foodie. If you're into really good bread, you're generally into really good food. If you're really into good food, then you're generally into good coffee. And so the kind that comes in the coffee cans that would be good for panettone is more like, you know, Folgers or like the Maxwell House that come pre-ground. I personally like to grind my own organic, fair trade, shade-grown coffee beans that come in a vacuum-sealed bags. But not to worry, you don't have to drink bad coffee to get the pants. So at the bakery, we just actually buy the molds from a website called bakedeco.com. And I'm going to include a link in the show notes for that one. And I pay $5.25 for 12 molds, maybe a couple of bucks for shipping. And we used to start out when we were playing around with these panettone recipes, we just made them in regular one pound loaf pans. So it's a little bit smaller than your traditional loaves, the same pans that we use for quick breads. 
But I really think using the molds and shaping them uniquely, like in the traditional manner, it just feels more authentic. And even though the loaves taste the same, the different shaping and packaging really helps the sales. So packaging is a big part of marketing in the bakery business. And I always say that people taste with their eyes first. If it looks pretty, it's going to taste better to them. That's if you're going to make your panettone and give away it as gifts, I would spring for the molds and I'd wrap them in cellophane. Cellophane is that clear material that uh, you'll see like a, with, they wrap with gift baskets in. And then add a big bow with a holiday colored ribbon. And it's going to cost, you know, maybe a dollar or two more per loaf with the molds and the ribbon and the cellophane. In my business, I can charge at least three to four dollars more if it's packaged better. At the bakery, I charge nine dollars and 95 cents per loaf, which is somewhat of a deal because I looked and I saw it at uh, Williams Sonoma and it was in a box and they were charging $48. I mean, granted, it was a little bit bigger loaf than the loaf I sell for, but you know, they're not baking it. Okay, so this recipe is going to yield two loaves. And you also have the option of doing like a mini panettone loaves. That version, you can just use muffin tins that you have at home. So however you decide to shape and bake your panettone, the dough is going to be the same. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to run through the recipe here. I'm just giving you a little bit of tips and suggestions or options for you. And then in the show notes, I'm also going to include the recipe so you don't have to write it down. Water, one cup. And what I would do is just warm it to the point that it's hot, but I don't want boiling. I don't want it killing any yeast. So just think very warm. Um, you can put it in the microwave or just turn your tap water on, let it run until it's hot. Bread flour. White bread flour, four cups. Now, if you don't have bread flour, you can use white pastry flour or all-purpose flour, and cake flour will work too. Yeast, two tablespoons or two of those packets. Lemon extract, one teaspoon. Orange extract, two teaspoons. Now, let's say you don't have any orange extract. How I would substitute this is I would take some orange zest. You'll see later in the recipe, I'm going to get to lemon zest, but I do like that orange flavor as well because we tried doing it with just lemon bread or excuse me, with lemon extract. And then we also tried just do, doing it with lemon zest. To be honest with you, we missed that citrus complex flavor that comes with combining the orange and the lemon. I highly recommend you get that and how you can do it easily enough with the recipe that I'm giving you, which is lemon extract, one teaspoon, orange extract, two teaspoons, and the zest of one lemon. But let's say you don't want to go out and get orange extract, or you can't find it, then just use the zest of an orange instead. So when they say of one lemon or one orange, basically it means one tablespoon of zest. Butter softened, a quarter cup. And this is softened to the point that it's half melted. So like when you're making cookies, you really want to just have it barely softened so that when you push into it, it dents, but you don't want to see anything melted there. So in this version, I want it melted just a little bit. Okay, eggs, two. Salt, one tablespoon. And like I said earlier, the lemon zest of one lemon. Um, and if you don't have the orange extract, use an orange. 
you can buy a zester. They're less than $10. Or you can just use like a carrot or potato peeler and then just chop it up real finely. And if you don't have a peeler, let's just say use a knife. Get it real finely chopped because you want it to disperse evenly in, throughout the dough. So right now you're going to mix all those and then you get to the good dough stage prior to adding in the dried fruit and nuts. It's the same with all yeasted bread recipes. Basically, you want to develop a strong dough, and a strong dough has gluten strands developed before you add in the sharp objects that can cut into those strands. If you want to substitute more one type of dry fruit or nut than the other, feel free. Is that the beauty of home baking? However, in this recipe I'm going to give you, I don't want you to substitute more than one and a half cups of the entire mixture. And the reason why is because if you get too much of the add-ins in there, what happens is the dough will fall apart on you. Okay, so I'm going to give you what add-ins that we use at the bakery. And keep in mind, this is our recipe at House of Bread made for home bakers, but you can adjust the dried fruits and the nut amounts as long as you don't go over one and a half cups, right? And you can also add in chocolate chips. And I've seen some panettone recipes with that. I don't happen to like chocolate chips, so I... I like more of the citrus, sweet citrus kind of flavor that's a little bit more traditional in the panettone. But like I said, if you like chocolate chips, then by all means, add chocolate chips. Start with a quarter cup of raisins. You can use golden raisins if you got it, or regular raisins are just fine. A quarter cup of dried apricots. And I prefer diced ones just because they add more apricots throughout the loaf. And then a quarter cup of cranberries dried quarter cup of walnuts and then a quarter cup of dried citron so citron is that it's like that funny looking lemon it's a it's an asian tree basically and it looks like lemon but it has less acid and the peels are a little bit thicker and more fragrant if you think of it like a it's almost like a a lemon that's growing like uh, roots like carrots it's got a few of those coming out of them that's well you recognize it in the store if you don't have citron, just substitute like candied orange or candied lemon or lime. And I did try to find a link to citron on Amazon and they were sold out. So today is December 8th. So they're probably sold out because everyone's buying it to make their panettone. So I did find a link on nuts.com that I'll include in the show notes for you. But keep in mind, you don't have to have the citron. You can use other things in it. So the big deal about the panettone is you're going to have kind of a sweeter based dough with butter and the eggs and the dried fruit. And it's going to be great whether or not you have citron in it or not. Okay, so with the hand kneading, basically you want to put all the first ingredients that I listed in there. And it's a little bit of a sticky dough, but not super sticky. It's kind of more of like a just a normal feeling dough, quite frankly. And so the kneading process begins and as with all kneading, you start with the palm of your hands because that's where the force is and just push down with the center of the dough and think of getting the muscles in your upper shoulders involved, not your fingertips. And then basically you fold it over halfway, then turn the dough a quarter of an inch and then continue on with pushing, folding, and turning the dough until you get a smooth kind of satiny elastic texture. And you can add more flour if the dough feels super sticky but don't add flour until you've kneaded for a couple minutes. 
And I tell you why, because it takes time sometimes for the dough to absorb the moisture. And I don't want you to have a stiff dough. Expect to knead probably anywhere, depends on your ability of kneading, quite frankly, but it's going to be somewhere between five and 10 minutes. So then once you get to that good dough stage where you've got your good gluten development, things are all just a nice smooth ball. And now you're going to add your dried fruit and nuts. And then you continue kneading into the dough until they basically, they're just fully incorporated. In the mixer, it's the same type of process. You want to start on a medium speed, get it into that ball. It'll be about four to six minutes. And even if you're using the mixer, I still want you to feel it with your bare hand because that's how you're going to know if it's sticky or not, if you need to add any more flour. And you're also going to be able to feel when you pull away if it's got gluten development. So remember when you know you, one of the tests is that you're pulling on the dough and it kind of fights you. That's because the gluten strands got developed. You want to get once again to that good dough stage and then in your mixer just add your dried fruit and nut mixture and then you just mix it until it's incorporated. You don't want to keep mixing because the reason that you delay adding those things in so you don't cut into the gluten structure, you keep your dough strong. The danger is, is with the mixer more than hand kneading because you're generally, you've got more of a feel with the hand and you kind of know, okay, these nuts and dried fruit are all incorporated, we're good. But I have seen bakers, and this is done commercially because we don't really hand knead much at the bakery. But anyway, so is that they'll add in their dried fruit and nuts and then they leave it on the mixer and then they walk away doing something else. Well, there's a real danger that they could overmix the dough with all those ingredients in there and break down my gluten structure. And really what's going to happen is your, your, your dough won't rise properly. Okay, so after you've done with the kneading, then you want to put your dough back in your mixer bowl, cover it with a damp towel if you've got it, and then let it rise in a warm place. So maybe an hour and a half until the dough basically it doubles in bulk. Then you want to take your dough out and you gently put, push down on it. I mean, some recipes call for punching and I just visualize someone like <laughs> taking their fist and punching their dough. Um, it, that's not really what it's about. It's just, a, it's a gentle pushing out the air. And then you take your dough and you put it on a flat, lightly floured surface and divide in half if you're gonna make two loaves or if you wanna make a bunch of little mini panettones in your muffin tins and divide, divide it into a dozen. And like I had said earlier, it traditionally uses that cylinder-shaped pan, although you can shape it in a regular loaf pan. Just you want to get, you want to spray your loaf pan if you're going to use it. And then with all loaf doughs, you put it in until it's about three-fourths full in the pan because you're going to undergo a second rising and then you're going to put it in the oven and it's going to grow from there again. So if you're going to use the cylinder mode, I like to put in a little bit more because what I'm like, what I'm trying to go for is more like a crown shape or a, a muffin top. So if you think of like your loaf coming out of that cylinder, I like the little bit of the muffin top, but you can't put too much in there because I've also <laughs> put too much in there. And then uh, anyway, the whole thing kind of topples over because uh, it's too top heavy. So the second rising can happen in 15 minutes if you've got a warmer moist environment or as long as like 45 minutes if your house is pretty cool colder takes longer right now i would egg wash the top of your loaf before you put it into the oven 
And that's just basically taking one egg and scrambling with a little bit of water, no more than like a tablespoon, and just, just basically brush it on top. And that's going to give you a nice golden color. It's optional. You could put on, like you could take sugar cubes and kind of crush them and then put them on after the egg wash before the baking. But you don't have to. And if you would like, what you also could do is after it's done baking is you can brush it with some melted butter and then um, add some sugar and then actually do a little bit of powdered sugar. And so it's just sort of a way to decorate it. Um, I actually happen to like the, the thicker crystallized sugar to put on top of the loaf just to make it stand out because the stolen is where we do the granulated and the powdered sugar. So I like to keep them kind of separate looking. Put it in the oven. Um, it's going to be preheat, right? So when you get to the point where you're shaped your loaves and are in the pans, you always want to think, okay, I'm going to turn my oven on because by the time it's undergone the second rising, your oven will be hot. So you always preheat ovens. You know that, right? Okay, so 350 degrees, and it's gonna bake probably about 35 to 50 minutes. All ovens are a little bit different. In all ovens have uh, hot spots and cold spots too. So you want to kind of try to put them in the, the pans in the middle of your oven, and you check to see if the bread is done baking by just feeling the bottom of the loaf. I mean, it should sound hollow. That one sound if it's firm. You could also take a thermometer and poke it in the middle, and if the bread gets to over 180 degrees, then basically it's done baking. Now, if you're using pans or your coffee tin, then just take the loaves out of there and put it on a wire rack, and you can let it cool for 10 to 15 minutes to, until it's like cool enough to handle with your bare hands. Now, if you're using molds, you just want to leave them in the molds. And then now is where you would put on any topping of powdered sugar if you'd like. And I can tell you that these make awesome gifts. And there really is nothing like baking homemade bread for somebody as a gift. And right now we're in sort of a strange time to say the least. Um, it's in the middle of our COVID-19 situation lockdowns. And I can tell you that um, your friends, your family, your neighbors, there's nothing more special than like someone making you something homemade you know, since a lot of people are really intimidated by bread baking, they super appreciate this. And so take your panettone and put a little ribbon on it. And I hope that you give the gift of bread. And thank you very much for listening, everybody. I know you have busy schedules, especially now, and I appreciate it. And until next time, happy baking, everyone.